Hello, everyone. I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. This episode is hosted by Mark Shields. Working with entrepreneurs through Business Link, Mark gets to spend his days helping people solve their problems. This can take widely different forms from client to client, which really keeps him nimble in strategy. Mark is able to offer some particular strategy around financials through his time studying accounting and methodically pursuing a CPA designation. And now let's get right to Mark's interview with Brett Colvin. Take it away, Mark. Hello, welcome to the Leaders, Innovators and Big Ideas podcast. I'm Mark Shields. I'm a strategist with Business Link and I'm excited to play host today to Brett Colvin. Brett studied law at the University of Alberta and is the founder of Good Lawyer. He's passionate about improving the way legal legal services sorry, are delivered and is an innovative entrepreneur at heart. And that's what brought him here today. So hello, Brett. Thanks for joining us. How's it going, Mark? Happy to be here. Very good. Uh, yeah, glad you could join. So let's start off with a bit of background. Um, one of the things that I was uh, just curious about, kind of looking at um, some of the early stage of your life, is what drew you to law school? Uh, did you know that you'd be following a, that path from a younger age, or what was the trigger moment? Ah, uh, definitely did not know that from a younger age. There was always kind of two groups in law school, those that yeah had wanted to be a lawyer since they were little kids. And then a pretty large segment of students that, you know, didn't know exactly what they wanted to do, but law felt like a good choice. For me, that was certainly the case. I did my undergrad in accounting. And then uh, towards the end of my, uh, my BCom, my dad actually uh, passed away and had been pushing law pretty hard. And I didn't want to be an accountant. And, you know, I always looked to him for guidance. So, I decided that law school sounded like a good idea, and that's that's how I ended up there without much thought, to be honest, at all. That's great. Yeah, a little bit of that uh, same sense when I, kind of, I did end up studying accounting myself. Did you? Uh, yeah. kind of felt like a bit of a um, yeah, similar kind of push, or still kind of in the process of that, I guess. But no, very cool. It's also really interesting to me how you know that um, experience of gone through uh, law school seems to have led you to really want to change or uh, make this strong attempt to change the kind of business model uh, mm-hmm. under which legal services are provided. Um, how how did you kind of come to realize that uh, was more of your calling in this field? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the one I'd say really unique thing about me in law school as compared to most of uh, my colleagues or my peers was I was I truly feel like I was a born bred entrepreneur. I've been running little businesses since I was a toddler. Again, I, I enjoyed school and it always see I was always pushed to kind of follow that career path from both my parents. My mom was a big influence there as well. But I always had this burning urge to run my own business. And I think that attitude, that entrepreneurial streak in me is what led me to question a lot of the things that were going on within uh, law school at the time and also the legal profession more generally. I had the opportunity to write a paper in my second year on access to justice and other delivery models in, in the UK and Australia in particular. And it just like really triggered my imagination because I 
knew based on all of my research that there was this humongous access problem where the majority of Canadians and, you know, we're in this Black Lives Matter situation right now. And, you know, those marginalized groups across the board, they feel the pains of this access to justice crisis the most. But at the same time, I was perplexed because students in law school were freaking out because there was not enough jobs. And so it was extremely competitive to get a job uh, at a big firm or a small firm. And so I was, again, just a bit perplexed that there could be so many people in need of professional legal help. Yet from this other perspective, there was already too many lawyers. So that's what really started spurring, again, my imagination and, and thoughts as to how can there be too many lawyers, but not nearly enough legal help. And that that's really what kind of initiated the start of Good Lawyer way back in law school. I see. Yeah, well, that, uh, that's really, uh, you know, I think, um, you know, a, a fascinating thing to arrive at, uh, you know, but sort of an issue that I think would strike um, uh, a lot of us, uh, you know, or can kind of recognize, uh, just especially in the entrepreneurial community, um, that accessing that uh, legal service can sometimes be ex- quite expensive. Um, but I'm curious more to, say, to dive a bit deeper into some of that research maybe that you had uh, done that. Is anything else, uh, like any kind of specific points that you might recall from that? I know I'm putting you on the spot a little bit. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, yeah, I, mean, I told you I, I could uh, tell you about this in my sleep. I, I know that's pretty well. Um, sure. The big, the big couple stats that I always like to talk about because they're extremely indicative of the situation. Uh, both come from Clio's legal trends report. I believe one was 2018, one was 2019. And the two stats are 77% of legal needs in the US and Canada is very similar, slightly less exaggerated, but very similar. 77% of legal needs go completely unhelped. So, you know, a huge, like the vast majority of legal situations that turn up and that people want to get help for Simply, they don't because the barriers to professional legal services are, are too great. And then at the same time, um, almost half of all lawyers in the States, and again, these the, the Clio stats come from the U.S., but they're indicative of the situation here in Canada as well. 40% of lawyers in the U.S. work uh, as solos. They you know, make okay money, but not what you think of when you think of, of lawyers. And, you know, they're averaging about 65K a year. But that's because they only make use, they're only billing clients one day a week. And actually 80% of their week falls to admin, huge chunk spent on marketing, and then write downs and write offs. So my point is, is that lawyers, especially those operating on their own, but it would extend much beyond that, operate in an extremely inefficient way, and then utilize the expensive billable hour as a cost recovery mechanism for their entire week. So, you know, it'd be like, you know, a limo driver just sitting there all the time so that he can book that one really expensive job late on a Friday night, and that's going to cover him for the whole week. Mm. And that's really how lawyers in the traditional model tend to operate. And that's where we're coming in to try to expedite the service from there and make it super easy for lawyers to help people so that they can focus on providing legal services instead of, you know, worrying about how they're going to find their next client, worrying about how to do Google ads and how to do the, like, there's just so many pieces to running a business that lawyers, I don't believe most of them went to law school to do, you know, they didn't go to law school to be small business owners, but the vast majority of them end up being some form of business owner 
which again leads to that really inefficient use of their week and in turn really expensive legal services that most people can't afford. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, we won't uh, dwell too long on this, but it certainly does uh, seem like valuable to just put some context in. Mm -hmm. If you could just describe what is that innovation then that you've brought with Good Lawyer to the service? I understand it's like a marketplace. You can correct me if I'm wrong about that. Um, And yeah, just to kind of explain what is that, that innovative piece that you've brought? For sure. So, I mean, you know, as I think most startups experience, we've already pivoted a couple times, but fundamentally the platform is intended to make it as easy as possible for clients to find a lawyer that can help them with their specific need fast and affordably. We're able to do that because again, those solo lawyers are spending such a tremendous amount of their week trying to find new clients and then deal with all the admin associated with opening any file, like any file you need a retainer you need, you know, a means of payment, you need client identification and things met. Um, so there's a, a bunch of pieces of the puzzle that a lawyer has to put together to take any money from a client at all, whether it's a dollar or a thousand dollars, they have to connect all the dots on all these various administrative steps. And that's where good lawyer comes in. Obviously we, we do the marketing piece for them. We, you know, are a platform that attracts clients to us because they're looking for good lawyers at good prices. Um, so that's a huge, huge piece of it. But we also streamline the admin. So we take care of those pieces of the puzzle, the retainer, the identification, the scheduling, the payment, so that the lawyer can just like plug in, help somebody and then plug out. And then that facilitates them doing these services at prices that, you know, a lot of lawyers couldn't imagine, you know, and that's a that's been a hurdle. Uh, it's been an even bigger hurdle with, you know, more senior folks in the profession for the most part, not all, but they really get stuck on this. Well, I'm $300 an hour, I'm $400 an hour. And my question to them always is, well, how many hours are you selling a week? Because if you cut that dramatically, we can fill your plate with clients and you can help so many more people and still make a, a really good living. Right. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it, it is, um, you know, just a, a wonderful new way of approaching it, uh, it seems to me, for sure. Um, well, you know, we, we, it seems so obvious, to me at least, and I think that, you know, give us another year or two and it's going to become painfully obvious to a lot of people. Hmm. Platforms are wonderful and they're, in, they're especially wonderful at facilitating the flow of information, which is what law is. You know, you don't have to go to a lawyer to get your teeth fixed. You don't have to go to a lawyer or you have a lawyer come to you to paint your house. Lawyers can work anywhere, you know, with all the new tools. And as COVID has showed us, like Zoom is great. Video conferencing works. Is there benefit to meeting in person? Of course, there can be benefit to meeting in person. But if you can meet someone digitally at a quarter of the price, like a lot of Canadians who otherwise cannot access legal help, they're into it. Right. Yeah, well, and that um, kind of brings me to one of the questions that had come up in my mind just uh, with, you know, legal, the legal profession being very old and going mm-hmm. back uh, for as long, you could argue, as long as uh, humans have been creating societies, I suppose. I'm wondering if you're seeing a lot of, you already kind of mentioned with maybe some of the more senior lawyers, but any kind of pushback within the profession against this uh, innovation from, yeah, maybe that uh, sense of prestige that can uh, factor in or yeah are you noticing anything in that kind of realm uh, coming uh, can push back against the innovations you're bringing yeah they call it the race to the bottom mm. 
And I just don't buy it because I truly believe, again, you know, referencing that 77% of legal needs going unmet, there is so much opportunity to grow the legal services pie and bring so many more people in. And, you know, I think professional legal help is probably one area in most people's lives where I think they're most underserved. You know, we're lucky in Canada that we have universal health care. So if you need to go to the doctor, you can go to one. But if you have a legal problem, good luck. Like you can try legal aid if you are, you know, below the poverty line pretty much. Or, you know, you can try to call lawyers and, you know, haggle a fixed price on something. But it's so hard. And, mm -hmm. and for how fundamental it is, I think, to living in, you know, a democratic society, it, it's too hard. And so, you know, we're trying to lower that threshold and, you know, we're focused on entrepreneurs right now because they're one group that we feel we can help in a completely new way by facilitating this remote access to lawyers across Canada at, again, like cut rate prices. Right. Well, I can imagine there's an affinity there because um, I think it is a challenge that uh, a lot of people in the process of innovating a model, wherever it might be, uh, kind of face that, that almost inevitable opposition to the people. Yeah, I mean, so I, speak I, from the status quo. I still I still think that, you know, good lawyers early enough that we haven't really drawn the attention of some of the bigger legal players and noting that mm -hmm. like even the big legal players globally, but in Canada, I'll just use that as an example, they're still relatively small. Like the biggest law firm in Canada does between one and 2% of the legal work, which is a lot mm -hmm. of legal work because it's an enormous industry, but it's a really small segment. Like the legal market in itself is extremely fragmented. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't have guessed that. <laughs> that's an interesting stat. Yeah. You know, it's not like going to Ticketmaster who has like complete domination on the ticket sales industry, you know, like that just doesn't exist in law. So yeah, it, I think, I think mostly though, it's because we're just early and they just don't really look at us as mm. invading their territory. And, and to be frank, I don't, I don't really intend to, like, we're not trying to replace the big downtown law firms and supporting their corporate clients. We're trying to connect solo and small firm lawyers with a basket of people that currently don't get legal help at all. Right. Yeah. Well, so on the flip side of that, I suppose, um, could be just uh, seeing people who come in with a, a sense of imitating here, what you're doing, which, uh, you know, I think, and like you said, with there being so fragmented, it's likely a good thing, but are you, have you kind of seen anyone who's see, who's witnessed what you're doing and thinking, yeah, you know, I want to kind of jump on it and see if we can really crack, um, uh, crack this model again. Uh, I mean, there, you know, there's, there's definitely some ca competitors out there and, you know, I wouldn't be so bold to say as they're copying us, but what I realized probably a, a year or two into my, my own startup journey was this is extremely hard. So, you know, if, if somebody wants to copy good lawyer and improve access to justice, like go for it, you know, I'm right. power to you. I've always loved intense, difficult challenges, but I can tell you matter of factly that I had no idea how hard it was to build a startup. And I got really lucky uh, early on by finding a group of guys that were brilliant and committed and, you know, they, they get it and, and they love the problem that we're trying to solve. And, you know, to any of my current or future competitors out there, you know, I think we're all, we're all striving for the same thing. And, and again, 77% of legal needs go unmet. So for me, you know, 
we're not good lawyers, not gonna be able to solve that problem on our own. It's going to take a, you know, as I like to always refer a small army, mm. yeah, more copycats, the more copycats, the better. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Well, you know, I've got one more question that kind of along the, the legal lines that will start to tie it into you know, yourself um, as, a, as a business owner and entrepreneur here and kind of uh, focus on that section more coming up. Um, but I'm just wondering, you know, what, what have you felt or even specifically witnessed at this point uh, that good lawyer and the model that you're bringing here um, is doing for like the rainforest community and then just the innovation kind of ecosystem at large in Calgary, like how, how meaningful or what is, what are the real impacts that um, you can imagine or, or are already seeing being made for startups in that legal space? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, again, fundamentally we're providing a new option an, an alternative to what's out there right now uh, in, in the startup community in particular, you know, they're bombarded these days by largely big shops, you know, that put together these startup packages. I, I worked at a, a big firm myself and we had a startup and grow package and those are good initiatives. And I have nothing against those initiatives because I think they open the door to startups that would otherwise, you know, not be able to access that kind of caliber of legal help, if any legal help. But where they drop off is after the package and after the package. And I've heard this from numerous startup founders, you were just rolled back into the status quo. And, you know, maybe because you're a startup and they're just, you know, it's kind of like a gamble for the firm, right? Where, you, you know, you, you give the services away early for cheap in hopes that the company will grow and then you can milk the high billable hours for eternity, which, you know, might sound a bit harsh, but that's that's the that's the reality. So I think that is where good lawyer is really gonna fill a void is not only can you, you know, get the early stage help that you need at a price that, you know, you can tolerate, but you're going to get the benefit of those, of those like fair prices going forward. Because again, we connect you with legal experts across the country, you know, lawyers that used to work at big shops, lawyers that have, you know, been working for startups or entrepreneurs for, you know, 10 years, but they work from home and they have no overhead. And so they can offer their services at, you know, a hundred, 150 an hour over good lawyer, as opposed to, you know, the traditional rates. Hmm. Yeah. Well, because so I think kind of so. Really, and, and actually maybe one, just one extra piece on that, you know, and sure. this is what, this is what ends up happening because, you know, that 77% of legal needs going unmet isn't like 77% of people never hire a lawyer, but it's the entrepreneur that is always scared to hire their lawyer because they know as soon as they hire the, or they call their lawyer again, you know, the, the, the clock starts running. Like I, I remember there's a timer on my computer all the time and I click that timer and then, you know, accounting gets it. I never think about it again as the junior associate on the file. And then the company ends up getting the bill. So that's where we really, and you know, I'm excited. We'll be uh, announcing a subscription here in the next couple of weeks to put entrepreneurs in a place where they want to call their lawyer and it's not financially prohibitive to call their lawyer because lawyers have a lot of really good advice to share. And, you know, I think that if you asked any entrepreneur in the rainforest, I can almost guarantee you every single one of them has had legal questions. They did not get answered because of a fear of the price. And so that's where we want to come in and is create a new uh, environment where, you know, entrepreneurs want to be proactive with their legal questions and, you know, 
they aren't scared and in fact encouraged to uh, get the help whenever they need it. Right. Yeah, no, I think that's a, a really important point that that's yeah, something like that 77 percent is really meaning people who could, you know, or it's also including those people who could have used that advice and just never bothered to get it. Um, you know, totally. Yeah, I can imagine if you're in a criminal situation, most people end up with a lawyer. But uh, yeah, there's going to be lots of circumstances where. Uh, yeah, you just forego it. Uh, well, it and like, you know, apart from good lawyer, can you tell me, like, if you had a legal question for anything off the cuff, you didn't have that relationship with a lawyer that was going to give you some free time because you're going to be spending more later. Mm-hmm. Where else could you get it for 40 bucks? Like the, <laughs> the the starting place is not $40 typically. The starting place is, you know, two, 300 bucks just to start. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely something that we witness um, at Business Link. Yeah, absolutely. Is, you know, people um, wanting uh, help or kind of we will tell them that they are likely going to need the help of a lawyer in this case. Um, but uh, there's that, uh, yeah, that fear about, well, I'm not going to be able to avoid it. So there's, it's very clear from our vantage point to Business Link as well. That it's a safe well, absolutely. And you guys have those, you know, great like monthly legal and accounting help sessions that everyone can book for 25 bucks. You know, I think it's Hmm. for 20 or 30 minutes or whatever, but those fill up so fast because entrepreneurs have legal questions and no affordable means of getting, getting them answered. Right. Yeah, no, it's, um, yeah, absolutely. So I think we're we're all very grateful uh, for for the work you're doing to try to to make that more accessible. I appreciate that. And, you know, same, same to you business link, you know, we've been involved with you guys for, for a little while now, and I know your services or service needs have exploded with the, the COVID situation. So, you know, I kudos hats, hats off to you guys for all the work you're doing. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I thought I'd uh, kind of shift a little bit just to talk more about that um, experience now that you've had uh, as a, as a startup founder here. So kind of, uh, not necessarily from that legal perspective, but, uh, you know, you had mentioned uh, just how it kind of caught you off guard uh, with how challenging it was. And I think that's something that's a refrain that we kind of hear pretty regularly. Uh, you know, there's always an underestimation, I think, of how much work is going to be involved. Mm-hmm. But is there anything that really stands out to you as, uh, you know, a pitfall that uh, you came across? And maybe how, how do you feel like you yourself um, overcame some of those things, kind of pushed through to get to where you are now? I mean, there's so many pitfalls, so it's hard for me to like, you know, pick one. There was the leave the the career high paying job to chase a dream. There was the, you know, my original co-founder going back to practice and, and dealing with those circumstances. There was, you know, how do we go and raise some money to get this thing off the ground? you know, there's been building the team and, you know, figuring all the interpersonal things and and getting everyone on the same page and, you know, working remotely, um, not getting traction with our first idea and having to pivot. So there's like so many tough days and, you know, to any of the would be or current startup founders that, you know, might be listening to this podcast, you know, the one thing I got to say is you need to love it. And if you don't love it, and if you don't love the process, this is a really, really hard path to take. And, you know, if you're just, if you're just looking for the, the paycheck at the end of the horizon, like probably not, there's, there's easier ways to make good money than building a startup. So I think, you know, if you really want to pursue this journey, you need to be able to look yourself in the mirror and and like know that you're doing this because this is the only thing that you want to do. Hmm. 
You know, I think that, uh, you know, for me, connects really strongly to uh, just the, the issue that you said you've identified kind of long ago there of all these legal services not being met. But one thing that I find interesting about um, uh, about that approach, too, that I think can apply uh, pretty broadly is, you know, if, another thing maybe that we see at business language, there can be a tendency towards wanting to kind of go for higher prices within the marketplace, kind of a truck. Being, having your business be attractive to a target market that's kind of more affluent of, with the sense of being that it's going to be a little easier to separate uh, those people from their money, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've kind of taken that opposite approach and thought, well, how can we like I said, democratize um, the situation? Um, yeah, is, there, is that something that you feel kind of uh, resonates with you or did you have any... Um, I mean, I know it's really connected to your your mission and your kind of why there, but yeah, can you maybe just uh, share any thoughts you have about how how that approach towards can I make this more available uh, work well mm-hmm. in your case? Yeah. So my first comment there would be the reason why startups and companies more generally want to go after those more affluent or you know those more willing to pay customers is because it's expensive to acquire customers. It's really expensive to acquire customers. And if you don't have a margin to make it back, then eventually your business is going to die. And, you know, I can tell you factually right now that, you know, we don't have enough revenue coming in today to cover all of our operations. We're growing at a market pace. Um, and, you know, the future looks very bright. But like right now, we're still very much in that product market fit, iteration, nail it phase and you know part of us nailing it is is likely going to be moving up a bit in the market to provide the services to groups that do have more legal spend but that being said we we went with the microservices because they were low barrier on a new platform so that was important but they most importantly they fundamentally drive at what you know mine and the company's goal has been from day one which is access to justice and you know it access to justice seems also whenever i kind of say it out loud it seems very courty and you know some you know people are going to jail or you know families are getting broken up but i mean it way more broadly than that i just mean access to like professional legal help and again our, our focus being on entrepreneurs to begin with helping these entrepreneurs feel confident in the decisions they're making and the contracts, the contracts they're signing because way too many people are signing contracts they don't understand that can cause huge problems down the road. But it's really about empowering those entrepreneurs with affordable legal help. And, you know, the best way that we could come up with was micro legal services, which I'm sure someone said it before, but uh, we're taking credit for that one. Yeah, no, very cool. Um, I'm going to shift gears a little bit uh, again and um, uh, just say, so yeah, you know, you um, studied uh, law in Edmonton there. Did you grow up in Calgary? Are you from Alberta? Or Calgary, yeah. Born and raised, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So okay, I was going to ask you kind of what that connection is here or why, why Calgary to set up, but uh, even though sort of understanding that you, yeah, you have that personal connection here. Uh, was there any other reason that you kind of said that Calgary is going to be the place um, to, to base yourself for launching? Nope. That was pretty much it. Yeah. You know, family, friends, history in Calgary. I've traveled a lot. I've lived in, I lived in Europe for a year during university. I spent a year out in Vancouver uh, while I was working at the firm, but home for me is always going to be Calgary. The environment in Calgary has a lot of room to improve 
for startups, especially. I mean, Kenny didn't do us any favors when he took away the investment tax credit, which was, you know, certainly good lawyers lifeline early on to get off the ground. And, you know, I think it's an obvious initiative or something akin to it that should come back. Uh, when you look at the other provinces, you know, next door, they all have significant investor tax credits and it just puts Alberta startups on a completely uneven playing field now. But, you know, what I have found being in Calgary, which was more of a default as opposed to a to a choice, the community is growing, you know, Rainforest being a huge, a huge piece of that, you know, new VC money coming into town and like it's just getting more exciting by the day. And I've been feeling that since since I started to poke around Startup Calgary, you know, three or four years ago. So I, I'm super encouraged about what the future looks like. I think with, you know, the recent destruction of the oil price, which I know is coming back now, I think, again, it just shined the light on the importance of diversifying this city and, you know, turning it into what I think it should be, which is ultimately a tech hub. You know, you look at all the most prosperous cities globally and they all have a huge hugely significant tech component. And, you know, I think that the leaders of our province need to double down on that. And, you know, I think that's where the future is going to lie. Right. Yeah. Well, it's so, um, yeah, kind of that uh, integration that you've uh, been involved in with the, the tech sector here in Calgary. I mean, I, I certainly agree. Um, that, yeah. There's, there's a lot to get excited about and that that growth is taking place. Uh, we see all the time. I'm um, mm-hmm. wondering if there's kind of anything that you've come across uh, any kind of new, um, new startup that you've uh, just become aware of, you know, whether directly or indirectly that, uh, that kind of really captures your right now within Calgary, let's say Calgary or Edmonton. Probably. Yeah, sure. I'd, I'd be happy to name one. I, I mean, it's, admittedly, we're kind of tunnel vision all the time working on Good Lawyer. But uh, one company that I'd love to highlight, she's a good friend of mine, Dominique Frazier. I did an accelerator program with her a couple of years ago. She's fantastic. Her company is called Team Fund, teamfund.ca. And she helps namely sports, but also community organizations raise money, you know, and fundraise online in a very slick, modern, modern way. And, you know, instead of going down to Spolombos to buy your sausages, you can buy it off team fund and the team gets a kickback. Mm-hmm. So it's a really cool product. And I know she's gone through her own trials and tribulations and, you know, has come out the other side stronger. And uh, I know she's kicking ass right now. So yeah, if I had to highlight one, it'd be a Dom at T fund. Hope, hope you hear it. <laughs> Very cool. So I was thinking, you know, one of the, the things I wanted to do is we maybe near getting close to the end of our conversation here or our time together um, is to yeah, kind of link back to that uh, legal experience, which again, I just feel is such a core value that you're offering and at the heart of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if you feel that your uh, like the, the skills that you learned um, in law school and, and having studied law. And I, I mean, I'm imagining obviously there's some problems practical elements there that you would apply to your entrepreneur journey but is there uh, any of that more those more intangibles that you feel that that um, educational experience has kind of either helped you with or perhaps even hindered you with if that's uh, the case um, in in your pursuit of uh, this, this startup company? Mm-hmm. I definitely think it's enhanced my ability sort of across the board I think law school is probably a year too long. I think I pretty much learned what I needed to learn in the first two years. And I mean, albeit I did spend my last semester in Sweden. So that was 
fun and not a lot of work. <laughs> but um, I, I think for me, it was great because naturally I'm super optimistic. Again, I think it's that kind of an entrepreneurial drive and, and, you know, piece of my makeup that the legal experience, like the law school experience. And then, you know, probably even more, not probably certainly even more so practicing as a lawyer for four years taught me to be more careful and taught me, you know, just enhance my analytical abilities significantly. You know, the way I digest any document now is certainly different than it used to be. And that's a function of just learning sort of the analysis that you take as a lawyer. And then that just kind of breathes into everything I do. That being said, so for me, I don't think it was a hindrance. For me, I think it was just what the doctor ordered. Like it was, you know, I came out with an accounting degree, didn't want to be an accountant, but then really like really tightened up my analytical writing and to a lesser extent strategic ideas while practicing as a lawyer. What, but I do think that lawyers for the most part, again, I'm kind of an oddball in this regard are inherently very conservative people risk averse. And I think law school and then also practicing as a lawyer really doubles down on those intrinsic traits that a lot of lawyers have to their detriment. I think too often lawyers feel the need to look for perfection. And, you know, I think that's also a function of, of how the law works, but you know, is the, is the comma in the wrong place type of perfection. And I think that gets in the way of us helping people. And, you know, I think that, you know, I always like to use the analogy. It always seems like you can only service your, you know, using a car as your legal need analogy. You can only service your car at the Rolls Royce dealership. There's no, there's, you know, there's no Mr. Lube that I just want to get, I just want to get it done. Cause I have to get it done. I don't have a lot of money to spend, but like, you know, where's my Mr. Lube when I need it done fast and quick. Mm. And again, I don't want to badly characterize lawyers in terms of like trying to offer these like shoddy ser cheap services, but I don't think that's what Mr. Lube does either. You know, I think it's a different piece of the legal pie that some people are looking for. And when it doesn't exist, then they just go without or they're doing it themselves online. And, you know, lawyers talking about uh, other companies like the legal zooms and the rocket lawyers encroaching on legal services, but they're encroaching because there's a need for it. And I think again, that super risk averse conservative mentality is holding our profession back. And I really hope that the lawyers coming out of law school today can, can push the boundaries you know, like, like we are a good lawyer and like push those boundaries a little bit so that we can fundamentally and at the, you know, very base help more people. Right. Uh, very, I think that's uh, extremely well said and uh, yeah, really good point um, to leave on just uh, in the sense that I think it really demonstrates. Well, you just keep laying uh, them up for me. I was, yeah. <laughs> Um, but it very much demonstrates to me uh, how you uh, represent uh, leadership uh, and that innovation um, and the big ideas, hence the name of the podcast. Well, I really appreciate you saying that, man. I'm just a, a crazy guy trying to make an impact. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Well, very well done. I'm, uh, yeah, consistently impressed um, and yeah, happy to be able to uh, connect with you through uh, my day job at Business Link and, of course, uh, and you know, I, I, I would also, you know, I have a, had a conversation and this, you know, probably I, I don't mind putting it on the record, but I had a conversation with uh, some folks at business link 
earlier about trying to help some of the marginalized groups that you guys at Business Link identified as being like particularly struggling with with legal services in particular. Hmm. And so, yeah, I would love to reconnect with you guys. I know that Indigenous communities were one in particular that you guys have a lot of traction with. And they were, you know, very much lacking the legal help they're looking for. So um, right. we'd love to circle back with you and see if there's anything we can do in that regard. Certainly. Yes, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely make that happen for sure, Red. Um, very good. Well, I think, uh, yeah, I've used up enough of your uh, time here, your, uh, your busy days. So um, I think we'll, we'll let uh, you go. And just, yeah, just one final time. Thanks so much for, uh, for joining us. Well, again, Mark, thank, thank you so much for, uh, you know, inviting Good Lawyer and myself on the show. It's a pleasure. Brainforce is doing awesome things. Business Link is doing awesome things. And, you know, we're just happy to be part of that, part of that community. Cool. Thanks so much. Cheers. If you haven't already, visit rainforestab.ca and sign the Rainforest Social Contract. Become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-sourced, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. This episode is brought to you by Community Now Magazine. Engage, inspire, educate together. The audio for this episode was professionally edited by Kate Day with KD Sound Design. Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.